0: 80th podcast, can you believe that? Idiot, we have a very special guest, Jeanette Beatham, who is the founding director of Right Resources, an organization striving for a thriving and productive neurodiverse workforce. Having struggled with certain tasks without knowing why for a lot of her life, Jeanette discovered that she had dyslexia in her 30s. This inspired her to learn more about the neurodivergent world and to support those with neurodivergent conditions, i.e. those who process information differently compared to the neurotypical population. This conversation covers a brief definition of the most common neurodivergent conditions before discussing why many go undiagnosed and why many do not inform their employers about their condition. We then move on to the crucial work that Jeanette and Wright resources are doing regarding neurodiversity in the workforce, including the training and accreditation program titled Dyslexia Champions. We learned so much from this episode, and I'm sure you will too. Jeanette is a very kind soul, and we were very grateful to have her on. This will be our final podcast of the year, friends. We are taking a well-needed pause thanks so much for your support and we'll be back in the new year with new vitality. All the best Jeanette beatham, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for coming on thank
1: you delighted to be here. Thank you for inviting me
0: no we're we're really um glad this is this is a topic that's kind of new um glad this is this is a topic that's kind of new in t- into my kind of um, th- discoveries of how, we, how we're looking at mental health, how we're looking at brain health, how we're looking at, at um, from different perspectives. And I came across your work with, with right resources and delighted that you accepted the invitation and very much looking forward to this conversation. Delighted that you accepted the invitation and very much looking forward to this conversation. I think this conversation will... Re- <laughs> <laughs> but I was doing a little bit of research... And I couldn't believe research and I couldn't believe so because I think people think here neurodiversity or they think they hear of ADHD and they think that's a very small. But I was coming. uh, There's some uh, estimates to say that potentially 40 percent of the population are neurodiverse, which blew my mind. so So (laughs) I didn't plan this little mini intro, but how are you? What's the crack?
1: I'm very well thank you. I think I think we were kind of we kind of threw you at the beginning because you, the way you pronounced my name um we were laughing weren't we before we started on this so I think um I think you were wrong footed to start there Jim which was a bit unfortunate but um I'm very well thank you. And in fact I had to wipe a little tear away from my eye because I was laughing so much uh before we started so um you could you pronounced my name absolutely perfectly so thank you for that. And yes, I'm very well, thank you. Yeah, Um, I've had a good day. I mean, my day's been quite sort of uh, different because unfortunately I had to go to a funeral today, Uh, but it was for um, an old family friend and it was more of a celebration of life. Obviously, it was sad, but um, a celebration of life. And uh, and I've uh, worked with a few clients today, so I've had a great day, really. Thank you. Mixed. Good
0: to hear. I said... Yeah, as well, just before the podcast that, um, it is nice when, when, when we can use or, you know, have funerals and, and have an element of celebration, but you know, usually that requires the person who is deceased to have, you know, kind of reached a certain uh, amount of years in their life. You know, it's, it's, it's very hard to, to, for the funerals to be celebrations when, you know, people are very young. Um, or it's a sudden death. And, but, um, I'm delighted that you, you could have that experience today. Um, and for listeners, this is probably the first time that I experienced a little bit of mini bull- m- bullying <laughs> from the Brits. <laughs> no, I joke, I joke, I joke. Uh,
2: uh- <laughs> about time, I must say, about time. There's been enough of me getting bullied by the Irish guest and yourself, Jim. So uh, it was more than overdue. Oh, dear.
1: I'm shocked. I'm shocked. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, neurodiversity. I'm taking it. I'm taking it. um Okay, Jeanette. So for people who are like Jim, what are you talking about, uh, all these, like, uh, this is to tell us a bit about yourself. Um, tell yeah, tell us a bit about yourself, your job, and how you ended up doing what you yourself, your job, and how you ended up doing what you. Okay, uh
1: it's difficult to to know where to start, but I suppose really if I position it as to um, my education, my early education, and it kind of leads forward to why I do what I do, really. My experience in education was not very positive. Um, I really struggled, um, and I didn't know why. Um, I was probably a teacher's nightmare, you know, um, because uh, if you're you're not able to engage um, and do well academically, Unfortunately, what happens quite often is you um, you need to fit with your peers in some other way. So you either become class clown or maybe um, you mix with the wrong crowd and get recognition for things you shouldn't be doing. I mean, that's why we have an awful lot of neurodivergent individuals within the criminal justice system, for example. You know, it's one of the reasons that, I'm not saying it is the reason, um, but I think you can start to see how that's happening if people... Um, are not able to achieve in education. But I didn't know back then that I was neurodivergent or I had, um, you know, I processed information differently to other people. I, um, in my early years in the workplace, I was quite successful, you could say. Um, I seemed to be good at my jobs. But when I was offered promotion, I would I would balk at, at it. I would I would seek alternative employment because it's easier to be out of your depths in a new environment than to be out of your depths with people who know you. And I very much had um, imposter syndrome, um, so that's my kind of foundation. But it was years before I realised that what I was struggling with was actually being dyslexic and having a neurodivergent profile. Um, so in education, I didn't do very well at all. And it was only um, in later life as a mature student that actually I realized I wasn't stupid after all. So I suppose that's a that's a starter. I don't want to dominate, but is is that a good enough starter for you? That's
0: fantastic. Uh, a lot of questions have popped into my head. The first one, I guess, was just, what then happened in your life Jeanette where you where you then said, "Ah I am dyslexic right, well.
1: came a long time later. it came a long time later. Um, I had struggled with my mental health. Um, people don't realize that it, you know it, it affects you. It's not it's not just about I' I'm, I'm what you would term a literate dyslexic. So it's not reading and writing that are my main, my main challenges, okay? It's
0: the processing that underlies that that causes me challenges on a day to day basis. Um, okay, and so just to unpack that a little more, does, would that mean that your ability to process um, long um, strands of information is 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 not the same as someone who who doesn't have dyslexia, doesn't have dyspraxia, like. We, when you listen to a five minute or a 10 minute lecture, does that mean that that you might need to pause it more often, say, than the average?
1: Yeah, I mean, if I, if I cut through to the basics when it comes to my short-term memory and my working memory, my short-term memory is quite restricted. And that's a common, common thing for somebody with a, a dyslexic neurodivergent profile. And so, if you don't have these challenges, you can hold in your short-term memory something between five and nine things. It's a bit like having a memory shelf. Um, but if you have the challenges that I have, I could struggle with holding three things. Um, you know, like when we were talking about, you know, you were giving my me a little bit of prep before we came on air today, which was great. And I said to you, if you could just ask me one question at a time, That would be really helpful because holding one question and then processing my answer, um, I should be okay. But if I get multiple questions or a question within a question, I won't remember what you've asked me. I'll either have dropped that completely or I've remembered one part or the other part. And what's happening is it's overloading me so in a and you say about lectures yeah you're remembering fact after fact after fact so unless it's delivered in a way that's accessible to you there's an opportunity for um, practical application and unless you're doing lots of visual lots of you know able to take notes or you know people think oh recording it is the answer well recording can be useful but of course who wants to listen The whole way through a whole lecture afterwards it means that you're doing it two and three times when somebody else is only having to do it once so therefore it's taking you longer and you're having to put in more effort so that's why delivery of learning needs to be as accessible as possible now i was really fortunate in my early years that i must have had my literacy learning and my numeracy learning delivered to me in a way that was accessible to me because I am literate and I am numerate, yeah? But I struggle with my short-term memory working memory. I struggle with sequence and order, organisation. I have pl- solar processing when it comes to um, certain things, let's say. Let's not go too deeply into that. Um, I have challenges with time and time management. And they're all the underlying things that can affect someone's acquisition of literacy if it's not delivered to them in a way that's accessible. So I've gone a little bit deep there. but um, So, you know, a lot of the people I work with, for example, I can be working with professors and doctors, working with them, uh, and people working in admin, people working in all sorts of roles. But what I'm saying is... You know, this this has no bearing on IQ or global ability, as it were, and that's why I'm using that as an example. Um, it it has no bearing on that at all, and yet there are co- there's common sort of misconception, stigma associated with it. That you know, when they go th- and what happens is you go through some kind of change, or you're starting something new, and then you start to struggle because your existing coping strategies are probably not the good fit for the new situation.
2: Yeah. So. And Jeanette, did, when, when you found out um, like later on in your life that you, you were dyslexic, did that offer some level of, um relief or some like some internal understanding that you actually were giving in a name for for what you'd been you know suffering with all these years or or was it just like was there some sort of like you said the stigma did that did that come into it at all
1: i think i think it's interesting you say you use the word that i was suffering i wasn't suffering i didn't know any different
2: right yeah of course
1: and what i was suffering with was the barriers that society puts in place? Yeah, so there's that, yeah, yeah. It's, um, and did it give me, you know, did it give me something? It was emotional, and and it's, I think, when people do reach out for support, it can be extremely emotional, um, because and for example, you can be it, if I'm working with somebody, it could be more emotional, for example. For a man in his 50s than a woman in her 20s for example and everyone will be different but you think about how much life and life experiences the man or a person in their 50s has had compared with the person in their 20s then it can be much more emotional it can be why has no one noticed this before why has no one helped me um, I've missed out on so many things. Um, it is a feeling of loss, um, and there's then that feeling of that poor child, or you know, the child who is misunderstood. Maybe they've been bullied. You know, there's all of that, and so it's it can be extremely emotional, and it it shouldn't be underestimated. Um, I think for me, what was great was. It was like having a jigsaw puzzle puzzle with some of the pieces missing. And to think that I'd got to my late 30s and I didn't really understand me. Mm. It's quite shocking. But of course, I'd always been like that because for most people, it's a genetic predisposition. So chances are either one or both parents um, will have similar traits, characteristics, but it might be lesser or to a greater degree. It may not be really noticed depending upon the type of job they're doing. For example, if somebody is a groundsman doing outside work and everything else, no paperwork, not having to really worry about sequence and order organisation and just doing very physical work, then actually, you know, some of the strengths commonly associated with dyslexia, which is being practical, hands-on, creative thinker, innovative, then they're able to use those and actually their dyslexia might not be noticed. And actually what they've been able to thrive on are the recognised common strengths associated with being dyslexic neurodivergent, for example.
2: You know? Yeah, uh, And when you had, when you, when you were, you know, finally you were given the name, someone, you know, a doctor had uh, told you, right, what it is, Jeanette, is that you're dyslexic. When you then went back into the workplace and you could, maybe explain to bosses or in future interviews and you could explain you know that these might be there might be certain situations in which you thrive on due to the, the positives that you just laid out and there might be other situations where you might need to have some more patience did you find that that they were there were more barriers put in place because now people could put a label on you "Oh, Jeanette's dyslexic rather than oh, that's just how Jeanette is How how did you find that evolution
1: Right, so let's we go back to the very beginning. Didn't go to a doctor. This isn't a medical thing. People don't need to go to a doctor. Right. Okay. Well, certainly with its sort of dyslexic type traits. I um, had been doing, I mean, my I've had so many different jobs, but after I graduated, um, some jobs that I'd done were, things like um, outreach work for the Prince's Trust, helping young people overcome challenges. Um, I had worked for the Centre for Enterprise and Business Development at the University, linking long-term unemployed graduates with small businesses and and moving them forward on projects, so it was a win-win for the graduates and for for the businesses. I was also Area Manager for the Prince's Trust, so I'd done a lot of work with Disability, overcoming barriers, all of that kind of thing. I was a business advisor with Business Link, and I was one of the first UK qualified social enterprise adv- uh, advisors, and uh, worked on a government project. So I'd done all of that, and then I had the opportunity to do some work with British Dyslexia Association. Everything fell into place for me. Right. That was where it happened yeah that's where it happened and i'd done my studies and did all of that and um, and it was really around helping to raise awareness and i was at that time i was working in schools colleges universities and workplaces working with teachers parents governors raising awareness of not just dyslexia but neurodivergent conditions but actually workplace is my passion now when it comes to what it feels like in the workplace i had made been made redundant three times in my life and the third time of being made redundant i decided i'm not going to have this kind of come to me without me seeing it i'm going to strike out on my own and um, become self-employed at that point and um so when i was doing work with british dyslexia association i was white labeling for them so i would be saying i'm working for them but actually i was self-employed and then after that gradually i then set up my own business and that's where right resources comes from because i could see that there were gaps that needed filling and that's why i then started developing programs to fill those gaps as it were so i just want to pick up on that question you said what it's like in the workplace. It varies for people. It really does vary. But it's not comfortable. Okay. Because people don't generally, I mean, there's some great organisations where they're really being proactive with all of this. So I'm not going to generalise. Um, but there are a lot of workplaces that are, it's a veneer. They're saying that they are neuro-inclusive and that they provide support. But they it's... What people find when they're actually working there may not actually reflect that. Um, And it may be more of a reactive approach, for one thing. But one of the reasons why people feel reluctant to seek support or take a proactive approach is because they fear bullying. They fear discrimination. They worry that it's going to affect their credibility, depending on the type of job they're doing. They don't want to be... um, passed over for promotion, all of that, because there are these still inaccurate stereotypes. So um, it really depends which workplace you're in as to whether you feel comfortable. And then if you do feel comfortable, it really very much varies on terms of what is available for you and whether you're having to find your own way or whether there is support available. So in an ideal world, you would talk about it. You'd be able to talk about your strengths, saying how um, how your strengths have helped you up to now, and then say there are a few things that might help me and I'd really like a workplace needs assessment. That's the ideal world, and that is really, certainly in the UK, that's what people should be able to access. Um, actually, if you understand these, these the situation and the fact that by taking a proactive approach. Globally, we should be ensuring that people can reach out to a work, for a workplace needs assessment anyway, because what we really want is happy, productive, engaged members of staff. And if people are not feeling supported, if they're struggling, we're not going to get that. It's going to impact on their wellbeing, their mental health. And we've talked about the great resignation Um, you know, it's very much the case if they don't feel supported, they can't reach out for support, they're going to leave. And there's a huge cost associated with that, not only in terms of recruiting, um, replacements and everything else, but the knowledge capital, you know, what that person has developed and has and gives to the company that they've, they've been able to use and share over a period of time. So we really want organizations to have accurate awareness not just of challenges but also of strengths and realize that these are people who think differently you know we you know everyone is different we're not all good at everything but it is recognized that the strengths areas, some of those that I mentioned earlier are highest amongst dyslexic and neurodivergent individuals generally than when compared with the the general population
2: mm.
1: and of course we need people who think differently because they're the ones who are pushing us forward
0: yeah Th- this is very enlightening Jeanette. and just before we continue i think it might be beneficial for listeners just to quickly go over um what may constitute as neurodiverse uh, we talked a little, you've talked about dyslexia but for listeners who mm. maybe not are not too familiar with dyspraxia or with this clack, I'm sorry, I can't pronounce it, know, You're gonna to have to help me. Do you mind just giving a quick it's, little? It's
1: calcular, I think you're after there, that's exactly that's,
0: that's exactly what I'm looking yeah, for. It's, calcular,
1: it's fine.
0: Do you mind giving the listeners and and myself just a quick little brief overview of of these other um, conditions? And yeah, yeah. Dr. Thank you.
1: fine okay so let's talk about the the terminology then to start with this word neurodiversity is actually new relatively new to our vocabulary and there are various words that are similar but they actually mean different things so we've got neurodiversity and if you think of that in the same way that you look at biodiversity meaning the the variety of um organisms as it were or living things on the planet you can see that that is everything okay so neurodiversity means every the difference in human brains and if we think about it and we know this every brain is different okay so if we're talking neurodiversity we're talking everyone then you have people who are neurodive have neurodivergent conditions okay and that. Um, would be what you've just mentioned so the reason I've mostly talked about dyslexia is two reasons that's predominantly um, my challenge but I also have traits of dyscalculia and dyspraxia which is more commonly referred to as developmental coordination disorder or DCD now Um, but also because dyslexia is known to affect more people So somewhere between 10 and 15% of the population. Um, And of course, when it comes to workplace, for example, and for education, it's the one that is most likely to impact on day-to-day tasks. Okay, you know, and that's, so that's that one. Uh, This difficulty with lexia to do with lexicon and vocabulary, but as I've already explained, you know, you can have literate dyslexics for one thing. it means that they're having to put in more effort and more time. And um, I'm the staff consultant for uh, neurodivergent conditions at Imperial College London, for example. And so I'm working with um, professors and doctors and, you know, when I do a screening for them, you can see that they're achieving, say a scoring of three on a scale of um, one to four, for example. Um, But When we look at their writing and their spelling um, and we look at it deeply, we can see that actually their scores are sort of one and two. And that means that, yes, they can do it and they're achieving, but look at how much extra effort they're having to put in to do it, for example. OK, so that we need to get rid of this kind of its people being less than, because they're certainly not. So if we come on to dyscalculia now, this difficulty with calculia to do with calculations and number, yeah. Um, let me just look at my stats. I think that's around right about three to five percent. Let me just. I've got, No, five percent. Okay. Um, so, uh, and the underlying processing differences associated with dyscalculia are very similar, are similar if not the same for most people as dyslexia, because what we're really doing is we're looking at a different set of symbols. That's that's it. Okay. Dyspraxia. Uh, The wording on this difficulty with and praxis is about taking an action and doing. And I think the stigma and common misconception on this one is purely about gross motor control. At one time, people would think it was about clumsy child syndrome, for example. It's not just about children. And, you know, it's not about, I mean, I think it's a bit cruel to say that, you know, to say clumsy child, but I I probably was that clumsy child. Um, but um it's not just about gross motor control um, there's at one time we were talking about dysgraphia which is difficulty with ha- graphia handwriting so it's fine motor control as well that all comes under dysgraphia now um, well, well, While we're talking about that um but also it's about planning and carrying out an action so it's for example if i go to walk out the door Um, I might walk into the doorframe because I haven't finished planning the action before I take the action. So that's what's happening. But it's also about planning and carrying out. um, It's about thought as well. Okay, so it might be difficulties with organisation and you might see the individual parts of something, a project, but difficult pulling it together. It's that kind of thing so it's it's quite varied uh again has no bearing on iq none of these do um adhd attention deficit hyperactivity disorder at one time we would be talking adhd and we'd be talking add now we tend to talk about adhd with or without hyperactivity add more of a dreaminess and um, being distracted um adhd um, a lot of hyperactivity, maybe struggling to sit still and concentrate, very distracted um, at the moment. I mean, it's it's vast and it's it's not something that I can really spend too much time talking about now. But there are a lot of people with ADHD type traits and characteristics coming forward now to try and seek support and help because of going through this period of COVID and lots of, Homeworking, um, finding it very difficult to cut off um, because they're doing a lot of hyper-focus, which can be a good thing to get hyper-focused in a, pro- a project um, and whatever, but no clear cut-off between work time and home time. Not using their energy that they would have used on the journey to work, for example. Maybe not being able to go out and do sports, that they were using their energies and... It was good for their mental health and their sort of brain chemistry, and and helping them to kind of um, uh, centre themselves, as it were, and and, and um, so um, it's it's far more than that. And um, but there's a lot of people now coming forward and realising that they're struggling, and these these are people that do need to go and see their GP because they need to um, to um, speak to professional about that okay but that's not to say that they can't have help with strategy coaching um, I'm working with uh, over, the, over the I don't know months I've been working with quite a lot of people with ADHD type trade struggling with their, their work tasks struggling with being able to switch off um, But great strengths, you know, enthusiasm, um, uh, 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 creativity, um, big picture. You know, everyone is is in an individual and um, their challenges will be unique to them. So, again, we need to balance this with strengths and challenges. But, of course, we need good nutrition. We need exercise. We need training. When I say training for the brain, we need time for the brain to rejuvenate as it were so you know that kind of recreate recreation for the brain so whether that's meditation or yoga and things like that but also what we need is sleep and quite often people with adhd are struggling with sleep because of they're not being able to switch off and some people are actually using um for example um, i worked with somebody a little while ago who found that they were drinking more because it was helping them um, you know, we, we're seeking other ways to try and manage But that's not everybody I'm just saying that's one person But um, uh, then what we've we not done We've not done autism and autism spectrum Yeah Okay, and we're talking probably 1% population um, And, you know, there's common misconceptions about autism spectrum Um you it is a spectrum and you can meet you meet somebody on the autism spectrum you've met one person you can't there's a lot of stereotyping Um, we know that the common traits and characteristics are challenges with social interaction social communication social imagination but actually we're all unique and we know that there is quite often a love of or preference for routine and sameness. And of course, a lot of those individuals may well have really struggled with COVID because of the uncertainty and changes to their work situation. And maybe working at home has been fine, but now we've got the uncertainty of what's going to happen next, as it were. Um, But there are you know, there's. Um, I think it's something like 60 to 70 percent of people with autism-type traits also have learning disabilities. So they're the people that we may or may not see within the workplace. But then you've got people on the autism spectrum who are, um, and this, and, and I mean this in a in a in a general of, of average intelligence, way beyond, beyond average intelligence. You know, all of this. You know, you can be not very bright and be neurodivergent. You can be very bright and be neurodivergent, anywhere in between. So um, these words, neurodiversity, neurodivergent, um, every workplace is neurodiverse. Because if you think about a diverse population, then a workplace is going to be neurodiverse. We've got people thinking, processing differently, some of whom will be neurodivergent
2: and jeanette i wanted to ask you know i come i work in the corporate world and i was just thinking when when you were talking there and i mean there may be people in the company i'm sure there are given the stats um and the percentages that jim laid out at the start of this podcast maybe people in my own company who are neurodivergent and i'm not aware of them but I was thinking about how if there was someone in, in, in my company who was neurodivergent or who had, who was going to start in the company, who was neurodivergent. And in the corporate world, it's so cutthroat and it's all about efficiency. It's all about who can do things the quickest, who can learn the quickest, who can be the most efficient in terms of thinking, which ultimately will save on the, you know, save the money for the company and so on and so forth. How, how do you go about, um, promoting the benefits of you know of of hiring these neurodivergent people because i and this might be a a gross generalization on my part but a lot of the ceos that i've come into and i've spoken to and that, that you know own the business that i've worked for I can't imagine them having the patience to, to say, oh, yeah, you know, what? We'll, we'd love to take on these neurodivergent people and we'll offer them the patience and the space. I just imagine them being so cutthroat with it and being like, well, that in our business model, it, it won't work. It's not it's not right for them. How do you how do we go about tackling that?
1: Your, your organization's already um, employing neurodivergent individuals. They just don't know it. OK, and you don't proactively recruit neurodivergent individuals, because if you do, I would question whether that is ethical, okay? Um, what we're doing is we need to recruit people on their strengths, we need to be you're making the recruitment processes as accessible as possible, and we need to be recruiting people based on the job role and whether we feel these people are the right people for the job. So. I think there's a, I think there's, um, I think what you said was quite interesting because it made me think of, about a situation. I was working with one time, work, well, I've done a lot of work with police, but I was working with police one time. I remember we were sitting around a table having a conversation, very similar to what you were saying. And it's funny that you've got your football gear on and you're going off the football later, because actually I use the football analogy. Um, not not too in depth because I'm not that you know I'm not I'm not a footbally person, um, but I was you were saying you know people need things done quickly and you said about thinking quickly and everything else, and I I said well if you have you can have a te- a football team of really fit fast players, but what if you haven't got anyone who can score a goal?
0: Mm.
1: Now you know we need people who think differently. And if you want innovation, it's not about speed. If you want to be on the leading edge, cutting edge, you need people who think differently, and it's not about speed. Okay. Um, so I think we need to we need to get people realising that you need to make workplaces safe, so that people can work in a way that works for them which then in the longer term works for the organization and works for the team because we are all different yeah and it's not about it's it's not about it's about universal design it's about okay so how can we make things as accessible as possible for the majority of us and then for those people who might need something slightly different then we ensure that they can access a workplace needs assessment to actually do a person-centred approach to them so that they can have a few adjustments so that then the barriers are removed so that they can optimise their strengths and their talents. I think we would need to remove that old way of thinking and it isn't necessarily about efficiency, it's about effectiveness yeah, what do we want to achieve? If we keep doing things the same way, we get the same results. We do things differently, we might get, we'll get different results and some of those results could see us being the leaders in our field of work. Mm -hmm. So I think we just need to, we need to to flip it, really.
0: Jeanette, it seems like we need to tackle this from from several perspectives or at least there are several aspects of this that we need to tackle. Um, And I'm Looking forward to asking you about about your work and the workshops that you do with right resources. But one thing I think that this podcast would help with in this regard is the destigmatization of it. The fact that, the fact that, as you say, we are most certainly working with people who have ADHD, dyspraxia, dyslexia, and they probably haven't mentioned it. They probably haven't mentioned it because they think we're going to look at them differently. We think they're going to be less intelligent. They're not going to be able to do work as well as we are, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess that this podcast could really help in that regard. I, um, my, I have a family member, a close family member, who has dyspraxia. And this family member doesn't, doesn't talk about it almost at all. It, it really doesn't come up. And I can't help but think it's because we live in a world where if if you're openly admitting some sort of quote unquote weakness, then that's going to hurt your job possibilities, your social possibilities, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess um, it would be nice to hear about um, your role in, in destigmatization, and maybe what what would you recommend to the listeners who want to who want to facilitate uh, coworkers and friends just to say, hey, yeah, I I do have this um, and I do process information differently and it would be great if you could respect that and in fact maybe our relationship will get closer maybe as you say we could work better once you acknowledge my strengths
1: yeah I think it's interesting we none of us are good at everything and I think we need to acknowledge that yeah so you know we're all and we're all different but I think first of all we need to realize that people probably don't understand their own profile. to go back to my revelation you know the, it was a real revelation to me as to why I'd struggled with so many different things and struggled with things in day-to-day life, not just work, you know um, and it's you, I still have well probably not so much now, but I was having light bulb moments as it were, you know think you know doing things on a day-to-day basis afterwards and realizing, well, that's why I struggle with that. You know, that's why I struggle with that. I didn't understand about the processing. I've um, I'll give you an example, and I'm going to come back to dyslexia again. I'm going to I'm just going to go back to the stats that you gave in the beginning. What we tend to be talking about really is one somewhere between one in six of the population, and what one, one in eight one in eight to one in six of the population. So if you said one in seven is neurodivergent. Okay, depends on the research you you look at. So if we said, because we're talking about neuro, specifically around neurodivergent conditions, if we said one in seven. So it's huge. Okay, But um, if we talk about dyslexia, I was asked to go and do a workplace needs assessment with somebody. It's a good few years ago now. And um, I got some background before I went there and it was so obvious when I met with her that she was really, she, she, was, she was on the verge of a breakdown. And I asked her about her background and she had had um, so a screening and some support when she was in her secondary in school years and um, had done very well, then managed to go to university, got some support there. Um, did very well, went on and did another degree. Now, she'd been in the workplace for about three years and not reached out for any support because she assumed that the support was purely uh, purely education. So what she'd been doing is struggling. And then she got to the stage where it was last resort. She knew that she had to say something. And this is quite often what happens with people. They reach out because it's last resort before... You know, while it's affected, it's not just impacted on their well-being, it's now really impacted on their mental health. And and, uh, so she'd had no support in the workplace. And I said, has anyone ever explained your dyslexia profile to you? And she said no. Now, that is shocking because how many missed opportunities were there throughout her education for not to have that explained to her? The um, assessments that she'd had had been qualifiers to enable her to get study skill support, extra time in exams, things like that, but not the transferable skills that she needed for life. So we shouldn't make assumptions, even if someone's had support, that it's actually been as useful as it can be. And we shouldn't make assumptions that that person actually understands their own processing. So there's that. Now, I said, would you like me to explain it to you? She said, yes, we did a couple of things and she just dissolved in tears. Why has no one explained this to me? Oh my goodness, you know. Anyway, I did some work with her over a few, uh, the, the sort of couple of months afterwards, we did some strategy coaching, put some things in place. And I'm very pleased to say that at the end of that year, she won an award, she was she, she was given an award for her work. Um. And she didn't look back after that. She was an international human rights lawyer. And one of the things that she struggled with was black on white on a page. And she had visual processing challenges. And so letters and words were buzzing on the page. So you think how much she'd had to read in a font, which was Times New Roman in a size that was too small throughout those three years of work. Now, one thing I would say here, and I think it's an opportunity for me to sort of say this, is that letters of words moving on a page is not dyslexia. Letters of words buzzing, moving, whatever, um, can happen for a variety of reasons, it can be called visual disturbance, visual processing. Um, you know, it's, you can have that and not be dyslexic, but if you're also dyslexic, you have that and dyslexia, but it just makes things worse, okay? So there's that. Um, So going back to, you know, your family member, Jim, sorry, I'm just trying to trace back to where we were. Um, They may not really understand how it's impacting on a day-to-day basis because they've always been that way. And that was the same for me. I'd always had those struggles. I just thought, actually, I'm pretty rubbish at all of this. And if someone, and I remember somebody saying to me, what do you want to do? And I, as I was growing up and everything else, in my head, I always knew I wanted to find something that I felt I was good at because actually I didn't feel I was good at anything. And that even now makes me feel quite emotional, to think that I felt I wasn't good at anything. And there is how many people feel like that, you know, and people should not feel like that. They
0: should be able to reach out. Jeanette, for, for people listening who maybe are in a similar position to you before your diagnosis, who have just accepted that maybe these things I find challenging, so maybe I'll avoid them, or maybe um, I've kind of internalized this possibility of me not really being good at those things or a lot of things. How, how do you think or how are we facilitating an opening of a door in terms of curiosity, in terms of, let me just see if I potentially might have this, um, this condition. And can I, uh, sorry, yeah, can, that first question, please.
1: Um, well, people can reach out for a screening. That's probably the the thing to do. But of course, it comes with a cost. You know, um, there are if it looks like dyslexia type traits, then there are checklists. You can, certainly on the British Dyslexia Association site, there's a checklist um but i think this leads me in really into one of the things that i developed which was um a, a level 2 training program for people within workplaces who want to be the volunteer impartial person to go and have a chat with you know so that because that's what we need you know um you can have processes in in, in an organization and you can but but quite often people still feel fearful of seeking that support and I found that um, certainly at, at Imperial College you know we had a good process of support all set up they'd asked me to come in and, and and look at setting up that process of support and I was really um, it was a, it was an honor and a privilege to be invited to go in and do it but what we found is that you can have all of that in place but people are still fearful they um, they May not necessarily feel safe and I found that people were still wanting to talk to me because I wasn't part of the establishment or the institution as it were and just have an informal chat and I realised in you know I needed more of me there needed to be more of me and so we um, I developed a, a program called dyslexia champions but actually we cover neurodivergent conditions so that those people are the impartial knowledgeable signposters you can go and have a chat with them over a cuppa talk to you you can talk to them about the struggles or challenges that you're experiencing they can tell you what support might be available to you and they can maybe give you some hints and tips but signpost you to specialist support so Um, If you've got dyslexia champions within your organisation, then I would go and have a chat with them because they're not part, they're not, they're not HR, they're not your line manager. Um, But equally, it's better to have them rather than somebody who's sharing what they think dyslexia is, what they believe the support should be, uh, maybe basing it on their own experience, which is their experience, but may not necessarily be accurate and may not be relevant to that individual. So um, I was fortunate, I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of trade unions who now have accredited dyslexia champions. Um, Also, um, I mean, the first first, uh, pilot that I did of that program was at Imperial College. They had a group of people do that and um, as i say we don't just cover dyslexia we cover neurodivergent conditions in the training and um, anyone doing it now does um ocn open college network level two accreditation called neurodiversity pathways to support so you know have a look if you've got dyslexia champions or and and have a chat with them but it's not all organizations and it's, you know, it's, it, it's, it's growing um, and there, there may be other champions. What I would say is look on the website of your organisation, see if you've got staff networks related to uh, dyslexia, neurodivergent conditions um, and just see what's available. Equally, look wider on social media and see if there has been any mention of any of that either negatively or positively in the media. And that will, you, you may be able to make informed decisions as to whether to seek support within your organization or not.
2: That's great. And Jen, it's a perfect segue into what, into, you know, you touched very briefly there. You've been very humble on, uh, on the, we've gone 50 minutes in this podcast and you haven't really mentioned what it is that you do. And I think there'd be a special place in hell reserved for Jim and I if we, uh, finish this podcast without giving you the chance um to talk about what it is that you do because it is some really inspirational work so completely open floor could you just describe to people you know what it is that you do um with the organization and for people who maybe are wanting to wanting to find help or or, you know maybe some of the projects that you're involved in could be really beneficial to them just you know come yeah going on a monologue here feel free just to absolutely um, <laughs> yeah get on the on, on the mantelpiece and just and, and yeah just say what it is that you do because that's the reason well that's how jim found you and it is some really inspirational stuff there
1: oh thanks very much Ted. um well it was interesting actually i'll follow on from what i've just been saying about dyslexia champion so at imperial it was fine because people could get that sort of guidance signposting and the process of support was there. We got the booking forms, We people could get screening, they could get workplace needs assessments, they could have strategy coaching and, and whatever. But of course, then when other organisations or other individuals were doing that level two champion training, what they then needed to do was to be able to signpost people they're working with to a process of support, and quite often there wasn't one within their organisation. And I've known that. I mean, I've been doing this kind of work for about 16 years now, probably more than that. And I think you can tell, I hope you can tell I'm passionate about this because nobody should be struggling in silence. And also with my business background, businesses, organisations are missing out potentially on neurodivergent talent and strength. So anyway, so the next thing was that actually I realised we needed another training programme. We needed a training programme for those people who are in organisations who want to put in place the information infrastructure and policies to uh, have a neuroinclusive workplace culture. So head of talent, head of HR, then neurodiversity leads, things like that. So I developed a programme called Neurodiversity Aware, which is a level four programme. So there's the level two, they're kind of foot soldiers. And then you've got the level four, and I work on that with Professor Amanda Kirby, who is um, a professor of neurodevelopmental conditions. And we've done that with, um, we've worked with leads in some senior organized senior organized senior leads, leads, I'm getting myself, I'm get, I'm struggling now. Um, I'm getting tired. Um, so some police forces have done the level four training training, um, I don't know if you know Admiral Insurance there, um, Admiral Financial Services there. They've been in the top five, um, rated top five employers, I think, in the national list for the last couple of years. All of their workplace um, support team have done that level four training. So, you know, and we're not talking about huge numbers. We want the key people to do that so that in their organisations they can go off. They're the people who want to make a difference, and we want to ensure that they feel supported in that work. So then there's the level four, and then of course, what's missing? What's missing is line managers, supervisors, trainers, HR. So the other program that I developed was a level three, and that's called Neuroinclusive Practice. So that's for those uh, the neuro-inclusive professionals. So there's um, so there are three sort of um, training programs that I've developed on a day to day basis. I still do workplace needs assessments. I do uh, strategy coaching and I do um, screening information and guidance for people. So because I'm really keen to keep it real, I want to still be doing that work. And also that helps to um, influence and makes the training real when I deliver it, because I've got real-life scenarios, obviously I wouldn't mention people's names or anything like that, but I have a, I have a, my finger on the pulse of what's happening within workplaces, so I can actually share that with people on the training programs, really. I do do one, one, um, I do one-day sessions, neuro, uh, um, training delivery to a neurodiverse audience, do a one-day cpd certified course for trainers and i think i'll
0: stop there
2: (laughs) that is it's quite the cv
0: (laughs) do you have any time (laughs) do you have any time for yourself (laughs) um this is amazing and the fact that you listed these out is uh, fantastic because We're going to get listeners who are in in these fields, maybe are working in HR, et cetera, et cetera, and they'll say, oh, maybe I'll be interested in that. Maybe I'll look at more. And we're absolutely going to provide the links um, to learn more about you and your work. I I guess on a personal level, Jeanette, I wanted to just cover this a little bit. How, say for instance, one aspect of the courses that you're providing is talking about inclusive practice and how we do that in the workplace. But I guess on a more personal level, given the statistics that we have, Pretty much everyone has somebody very close in their life with this. And uh, just from personal experience, I have to say that I used to get so frustrated with the family member um, who has dyspraxia because this person could never get timing right. We, we were so, like so many times I gave, I gave this person a hard time. Like, why can't you just tell me what time you'll be here or you'll be there, whatever, whatever. And um, ve- only until very recently did I reach a point where I just said, "Okay, this is because of this. No. This is this is not this person doing this on purpose to to anger me, to anger everybody else. This is this is this is this is this person's brain, and I need to accept that this person's brain doesn't work exactly how my my brain works." Um, and I guess, it like it, I love the work that you're doing about workplace, but also I think we could all in the seven myself also listeners think all right well probably there's someone in my life that i'm either given a hard time to are not acknowledging that maybe things aren't working exactly how they're working for me
1: yeah i think um you can see how this can affect relationships you know um you can see how it can impact on work relationships home relationships um All of that. And the other thing that I should mention as well is that overlap is the rule rather than the exception. So that means, you know, we haven't got a dyslexic brain and an autism brain or autistic brain. We've got a brain that may be predominantly one of those neurodivergent conditions, but actually overlap is the rule rather than the exception. So, as I mentioned earlier on, predominantly mean dyslexia, but also, you know, uh, dyscalculia, dyspraxia, DCD. So, you know, we need to appreciate that we're all unique. And I think we need to move away from this thing of them and us. It's not them and us. It's we. We're all processing differently. And you can know, it may well be that you know some of the people who are neurodivergent. But actually, who do we not know in amongst our um, either family or or the workplace who are neurodivergent but actually they're not struggling with it at the moment or they're being able to camouflage which means they're putting in extra effort to cover it up or and or not cover it up but to go unnoticed as it were yeah so there's that and because you know i said i'm neurodivergent from what we've talked about the two of you are not but actually one of you may go into a new job where actually the demands are completely different from what you've experienced so far. And three months into that job, you're not coping and you don't know why. It may well be that you're neurodivergent and that's when you have a screening and then you discover it. So we, you know, it's really important to move away from this. You know, I think there's a, quite often people talk about neurotypical and that has this thing of them and us. It's actually, we've got a neurodiverse workforce, We've got a neurodiverse population, and some of those will be neurodivergent. And quite honestly, we don't know who is and who isn't. So we need to, you know, we need to just be open to it, make things as accessible as possible for the majority, and then be able to provide support for those who may need it. But we need it safe. We need safety. Mm -hmm. And psychological safety is key to ensuring that we optimize or maximize the potential of the people we've got within the workforce already because a lot of people i don't know if you you know that maslow's hierarchy of needs triangle yeah there'll be a lot of people who are just they're number one and whether you know that or not but there'll be people in work who are just keen to keep their job so that they can keep a roof over their heads and food in their belly and 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 clothes on their back and feed their families yeah and there'll be people in workplaces who are only doing that which is really really sad because there can be so much more to working life than that and you know they're living with a risk all the time that they may be found out and that's that imposter syndrome yeah so sorry i've moved away from the personal stuff but yes and i mean one of those areas around the personal stuff and i i won't i won't, don't want to go into it but yeah i mean personally i experienced that and it wasn't till later in life that i realized that i process information differently and it very much impacted on a close personal relationship which ended up in um marriage breakdown so yeah
2: thank you
0: for sharing that with us jeanette um i
2: go on jim sorry sorry we're
0: just gonna ask a question there thanks for sharing that you know yeah so just just the last thing that really came up for me there was we, we we covered from a workplace from a relational point of view but also was coming up for me and how you're talking about imposter syndrome and something that i'm huge on is the idea of self-compassion the fact that we are judging ourselves very harshly, all of us. I think we live in a very judgmental society, and I guess what what was coming up when you were talking about the difficulties. Hey, maybe I started this new job, and I'm not sure why. And um, but if I, I, I there, there's you know I don't want to really find out why because that that might mean something else. That might mean that I'll be judged. That might mean that, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And I think hearing about your your work and and what you've expressed just there is how. Self-compassion is, is essential for all of us, but almost even more so for people who are in this bracket, who are maybe having difficulties and have yet to be diagnosed or who have been diagnosed, but feel like they'll be judged if are they're judging themselves for it. You know, maybe they're just saying, oh, like, why am I like this? Or, um, Yeah, so I, I guess, and it's maybe a nice segue into our closing section about how you look after your own mental health. Yeah, I
1: think, I think what you're saying is, what i would call personal uh, benchmarking we benchmark ourselves against other people yeah you know we, we talk about benchmarks in business but actually we do benchmark against others against our peers and it it, it can be crippling it really can um i think people one thing to say is that people do not need a diagnostic assessment to be able to qualify for a workplace needs assessment, certainly in the UK anyway, you yeah. know. So there's, that's one thing. So don't, you need a screen, have a screening, by, yeah, but you don't, it's not, a, it's not a prerequisite. You don't have to have had a diagnostic assessment, certainly for dyslexia, to be able to qualify for help. If somebody is struggling, they should be able to reach out. Okay, so there's that. When someone has a screening, one of the risks that people, and I've heard this so many times, is that they can be a bit reluctant to actually have the screening because what if it is that I am stupid? What if it is that I'm not dyslexic and it really is just going to show me that I'm not very bright? And that is a risk. It is a risk. I I, I did a screening the other day for somebody, and um, they didn't actually have a dyslexia profile. And it was that in their early years education, there were gaps in education. So they don't have a good foundation of literacy and numeracy. It's not dyslexia as in genetic predisposition dyslexia. It was gaps in education. So there's that. And I think people need to prepare themselves for the fact that, you know, some people are avoiding screening because actually they, they, they use it. And they're leaning on it as, you know, dyslexia is the reason. So therefore, you know, so they use that. So we do. That's not it's not many people. I haven't encountered it that many times, but I think everyone is is different. But yes, we do. We we need it would be good to be able to speak to somebody and actually write down the strength areas. What are the strengths that you use to get you to do what you're doing at the moment? So for example, I use that groundkeeper's example. You know that groundkeeper might be promoted to a managerial role and then actually the demands on them are going to really be huge and increase because if they're you know if they've got some of these processing differences. But if you look at the groundsman role, you know, physically fit, big picture thinking, practical, hands-on, every time the machinery breaks, I can fix it, all of that. Those are the strengths that have got them to where they are. Imagine what they would be able to do if we had some help with mitigating some of the challenge areas. So what we've got to do is start looking at the strengths, and that person may well be able to do that managerial role if they're able to apply for a workplace needs assessment have a few strategies in place and a few tools and they'll be able to do it yeah so i think all of this really is about awareness and the awareness needs to be accurate it needs to be comprehensive and it needs to be useful because unfortunately what we're seeing is there's been an increase in people setting themselves up to do awareness training around neurodiversity probably based on the fact that they've done a couple, they've attended a couple of webinars for themselves and then feel that this is what they want to do. And actually, I think it's quite dangerous if we're not doing it in a comprehensive way and then giving somebody, well, what do we do next then? Like we have said, look to see if there's dyslexia champions. Look to see on your company website if there's any support available. If there's not, who can you talk to within your workplace, feel comfortable with? If it's not your line manager maybe there's somebody else hopefully you'd be able to speak to someone in hr and then certainly in um, uh, some parts of the uk you should be able to apply to access to work which is part of department of work and pensions you should be able to apply for a workplace needs assessment through there if you can't access it any other way within your workplace okay so there's that Um, What I would also say to people um, is, you know, if you if you've some of these things that we've talked about today, if it resonates with you and you think, actually, that sounds a bit like the challenges that I've got. But these are the strengths I've got. Look on National Autistic Society website. Look on British Dyslexia Association website. ADHD Foundation, you know. And have a look and see what's help they've got available and what maybe they've got local groups and things like that. So um, I think there are it's not easy. You know, It's if, if it was easy, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing and I wouldn't have developed the programs because I could see that there's gaps there and it's needed. And that's why I've done it. And I suppose really I've just had something click in my head when I said to you, I always wanted to find something I was good at. Actually, I see a gap. I see a need, and I develop something. So I suppose really creative thinking, um, you know. And when I look to the strengths of my associated with me being neurodivergent, I think that's probably. Um, I, I think that's probably it. Perfect. I'm not perfect. I'm way off perfect. <laughs> I'm learning all the time. Um, and you know, I, I I'm very um, I'm feel privileged to work with professor amanda kirby um and the good thing is that i don't have to read all of the research she has she goes at 110 miles an hour it's a bit like tortoise and the hare you know but she feeds me all really, the really useful um bits of research that i really need um so i you know and we work uh, very i believe we work our skills and our the way we process complements one another and I, and it's great working with her on that um level 4 program so I'll stop talking
2: now guys <laughs> no you're the guest <laughs> if you stop talking i don't know what we'll do um listen it's a, i think it's a great place to end the podcast and, and before we do end we just will we always try to ask our guests what is it they do that they uh to help them keep on top of their mental health and to help them just keep tip top um i know we we've spoken before the podcast about your dog i wonder if maybe um the dog has anything to do with uh some of your practices that you uh might what, might do on a daily basis or weekly basis but if you have any tips that you could share with us and the listeners we'd uh, very much be appreciative.
1: Yeah, I'm very fortunate that um I I now live near some water. Um I I live on the coast, so walking the dog on the beach is wonderful. I feel very privileged um to be able to do that. But my dog, yeah, she's my baby, <laughs> our baby. Um she was um she was we were we were in Greece at one time and where we were staying, um she was living under a half an oil drum in the garden and she was um skin and bone and needed parents and she found us so um so yeah um I love walking the dog um spending time with my husband and um, I also need quiet time I really struggle with background noise so for me just somewhere peace and quiet I stand on that beach and I stretch and I do my kind of neck and back exercises and just whirl centre, and it's like, wow, it's just lovely. Just those few minutes to myself um, on the beach is so, but any open space really, um, it's lovely.
2: Great stuff. Well, thank you very much for coming on, um, Jeanette. We really, really appreciate it. And I know you're a bit you a bit hesitant um, to start with, but I think you've done yourself massively proud. Um, and um, So, yeah,
0: thank you for having the bravery. Sebs to- after muting himself unbelievably. Jeanette, I wanted to say that I'm so happy that you found your niche. I'm sure this will prove very uplifting for people who still feel like I'm not sure what I'm good at. I don't think I'm good at anything. And then as you say you're using your creative advantage almost your creative inclination you found that gap you persevered through that gap and now the amount of people that you're helping is so uplifting so inspiring thank you so much for agreeing to come on the podcast
1: thank you
2: hi guys thank you for listening to the podcast please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week, but until then, keep safe and have a good one.